and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be discussing the recent news surrounding the Eurobasket and FIBA international play going on this month leading into September as well. We got news from Beat Credchi. He'll be playing for Team Czech Republic. Teo Maladone has been practicing with Team France. And Alexei Pokashevsky has been blocked by Team Serbia. So I want to break down all of their three individual cases and why I believe Alexei Pokashevsky was not allowed to play for Team Serbia this summer. Also, want to delve into the details of the OKC Blue a little bit more. I did a discussion earlier in the week on the arena situation, them being grounded yet again and kind of what the roster looks like now, but I want to do a full-on evaluation on why it's so unique that the OKC Blue are playing in the, uh, playing in the Paycom Center. So I'll be breaking that down, and then I'll be rounding it out with a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out, though, with Vit Kredci. This is actually a story where I was the first to break it, I believe, in the Thunder Market. However, this news was dropped by the Czech Basketball Federation actually last week, I believe. And Kredci has been playing about a week or so with the Czech Republic national team Um, as I'm recording this podcast. So by the time I got the news out, he'd been practicing for about four days. So they did a really good job keeping it a secret. I ended up stumbling upon it, um, just checking out, you know, their international pages. They were showing Credchy out there, but it was never reported. So that's kind of how we got to this stage, but he's going to be suiting up for them. He has been given the green lights. And not only is he going to play in the Eurobasket 2022 competition, but also the FIBA 2023 World Cup qualifiers. So he's going to have his plate, not necessarily full, but he has been training the entirety of August with the team. So he does have a big time commitment here leading up until mid-September when training camp action kind of gets kicked off and ready to go. But with Viet, I mean, he's 22 years old and he's going into really a sophomore season next year. Technically, I think you can make the case that it's his third year. He was drafted in 2020 by the Wizards, traded over to OKC, and what was a ridiculous trade-up. I think it was the draft rights to Cassius Winston, who was, I think, pick 52, and a future second-round pick in order to get Veet, and it might have been another second-rounder as well. So that exchange was ridiculous for the Thunder. You don't typically jump up you know, that high amount of spots. Uh, unless you're giving up a lot more and they really didn't do anything to get into the 30s there. But he was with the team starting in January of 2021. He had a torn ACL. He suffered in September of 2020. So he had been rehabbing, but he's actually uh, was signed to the OKC Blue when they went into the bubble. Now that was not for purposes of playing with the team. I don't think he even went to the Orlando bubble. But what that did was it allowed him to have the Thunder resources, be in OKC, be with the team, and kind of develop a relationship with the roster. And he most definitely did. Last summer, we saw him at Darius Baisley's birthday. There were other events where, you know, he was out and about, and he even assisted in Vrenz Blindberg's um, pre-draft 
workout with the OKC Thunder. They knew each other previously, so he picked him up out of the airport and kind of showed him around the city. So he's been ingrained with this roster, but, you know, last season, you did get to see a good chunk of Veet. Now, it started with the OKC Blue. That's where he kind of dipped in first, and that was to be expected. Coming off a season-ending injury, that is where you are going to kick things off, but he was very consistent. You know, he's not the type of guy that's dropping 25 points. He's not really getting a crazy amount of rebounds or assists in a game. However, he's a well-rounded piece that is going to contribute at a high level. The numbers might not signal it, but his presence was obvious with the blue, particularly in the Winter Showcase Cup. And then he moves on to play in rookie ball for the Thunder, and he did pretty well. Averaged 6.2 points, 3.4 rebounds, and 1.9 assists in 30 games. A lot of backloaded minutes for him. He was one of the guys dropping 40 minutes a game in the closing week or two. And that's where you got to see, you know, those higher reps of him maybe distributing a little more. Looked really good in Summer League. I mean, I think when you're talking about checking the boxes for a final roster spot, you need to have potential in the case of Veet, but you also need to be a pretty good shooter. And he was a great catch-and-shoot option in Las Vegas. Same goes for the Salt Lake City outlet as well. And he's going into uh, international ball with kind of a head of steam. And he's going to be surrounded with some other NBA talent as well. Thomas Sadoransky, he recently signed overseas. Jan Vesely, also former lottery pick. He's overseas right now, but he's kind of a powerhouse. He's doing a very good job. And same goes for Sadoransky whenever you know he uh, transitions next season. But he is the lone NBA member on the Czech Republic's roster. So he will be a focal point. And he's been a focal point of their nation in terms of basketball for a very long time he was in U16 games for them in 2019 that's when he switched over to playing on the senior team and he is clearly one of the guys to look um, look after you know when you're talking about their nation and how they're gonna compete at the international stage so this is a starter for team Czech Republic and You know, they're probably going to make him one of the forefront pieces of this team. And if you're Oklahoma City, that's really good because you want to see more reps. In particular, I think you want to see in-game reps from these guys that are on the cusp of a roster spot. It's very hard to, you know, edge out the trio of Credci, Jerome, and Maladon because I think all three have a lot of, you know, both pros and cons. Uh, But if you're looking for right down the middle type of prospect who I think has maybe the least amount of cons right now, potentially some upside and had some really good moments last year, it'd be Veet. So, you know, these games are going to be very pivotal for him. And if he's able to establish himself offensively, you know, that's going to make him one of those guys that uh, could continue to make a statement going into training camp. Not the only player that will be competing in these circuits so I'll be talking about Teo Maladon in one second here additionally Alexei Pokashevsky and his situation with Team Serbia in one second but first I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook the action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook especially this summer with tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. 
Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Not much going on in the basketball world in terms of the betting front, at least in the NBA. The CEBL, that is Canada's summer circuit, they're in their final four, so potentially you might be able to find some games to bet on there. For the most part, a lot of the rosters have been disassembled, but there are still some gyms in that league. It's a very underrated one. Outside of that, MMA is always a really good one to be betting on. Big fan of that myself. And how about MLB baseball? Really good Yankees game yesterday. Uh, was a really late night watch, but it ended up being a good one. So you guys can check all that out over at DraftKings. And the best part is they are safe, secure, and reliable. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Going right along with the storylines of FIBA basketball and Eurobasket play. You have to look at the schedule. Already noted, Veet is in the Czech Republic as of right now, second week of training, like I mentioned. And same goes for Teo. They've actually had an exhibition game for Team France already. But you got to keep looking at it. This is a, a month long commitment for both Kredci and Teo. And for Kredci, he's playing on the 24th and 27th of August. And then Eurobasket play begins on September 1st, and that can run up to September 10th. So that's a timeline of about 40 days. Same should go for Teo if, you know, he does play in the Eurobasket competitions as well. As of right now, it might just be the FIBA 2023 qualifiers, but that could always get tacked on. One thing we know for certain, we're not going to see any Alexei Pokushevsky suiting up internationally over the summer. And we got this report last week on Poku where this came from Team Serbia's like national team directly. The quote is for Pokashevsky and Jovic, we did not get permission from their teams. Jovic being Nikola Jovic from the Miami Heat and then Poku obviously being Alexei Pokushevsky, but he misses out here and you can take the context of this. Basically, Poku was lined up or he was aspiring to be in the training camp and Oklahoma City kind of stepped in and, you know, said to, you know, stay in the States maybe and, and keep going and honing in on his craft there. Difference in result compared to the other two, obviously. But let's kind of talk about why that is and try to make sense of why Poku was the one that was maybe left out of international conversation and Teo and Kredci uh, were continuing to uh, improve on the international stage. So I think for starters, you know, Poku, he's still a raw player and he still is a, a prospect of all prospects. He's just 20 years old, seven feet tall, seven, three wingspan, We've seen games where he's just blocking everything in the vicinity. He's shooting 7 of 7 from 3 in some games. And 
you know, when he's hot, he's as hot as a pistol. It's very difficult to guard someone like Poku, especially with how he shoots the basketball. Yeah, does he kind of have a little bit of a push shot? Sure, but it is way faster than any seven-footer really in the league, and that's just very hard to guard, you know. So he's a perimeter-centric seven-footer who has some guard skills, you know, in terms of passing ability. Sometimes can get a little lackadaisical there. We've seen the assist-to-turnover ratio shift in the negative directions at some points, but you see the clear-cut upside. On the other hand, you know, he's not this 18-year-old rookie anymore. He's had two seasons under his belt, and they are looking to kind of secure a roster moving forward. I'm going to be talking about the rotation in the next week here on the Thunder Six podcast, I'm going to give you guys my assessment and my overall breakdown position by position. But the basic part here is that I think it's going to be a lot harder for projects to play. And I think you still classify Alexei Pokashevsky as a project type of player. We've seen the high ceiling. We've also seen the floor and the absolute floor you know, is is not one that's going to make a positive impact in a game you are attempting to win, you know? So there is that kind of polarization in terms of his stat lines, and maybe some other guys do not carry around. Regardless, if he's going to make an impact and be in the starting rotation or just the rotation in general, he's going to have to make some serious strides in the offseason and what this comes down to is just wanting to see him in Oklahoma City giving him that extra sharpening of the iron if you will going into training camp and I gotta look back at this you know you could try to you know move things around it's very difficult to field minutes for a lot of guys that are returning Poku I'd say being one of them on the cusp of maybe not playing maybe playing in that day one rotation. But guys like Holmgren are going to slide in at the five. That's going to start ticking some people down to the four spot, kind of like a slide, if you will. Usman Jang, I don't think he's going to play day one, but he's definitely on the up and up there. Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, he's going to have instant minutes. That's going to shift players up to the three position. And then obviously uh, with Jay Will, I think he's starting out in the G League too. But you need to kind of monitor a lot of different pieces here when you're talking about Poku and his standing within the rotation. Poku is probably making this 15-man roster. I'm saying probably it'd be a total 180 if he is waived going into training camp or going into that 15-man final roster cut. There's just too much potential. And for a Thunder team that is built upon jumbo guards, playmaking ability, and shooters which Poku might not have the greatest output at, but he's shown some stints of being very successful there. To cut him would be an absolute stunner. And I'm sure someone would pick him up just because the idea of, you know, having a player such as him on your team is very, very alluring. So he's set to stone to make the roster, in my opinion, but rotationally the bar is much higher in terms of stakes than both Maladone and Kredge. Maladone and Kredge are on that you know roster crunch mode where they might be on the outside with Poku I think he's above water but you gotta be able to push yourself ahead of some of the players 
and the active rotation. That's kind of the main takeaway that I see there. You know, if you're going to draw comparisons, the clear-cut one, and I think the most realistic battle we'll see involving Poku is with Darius Baisley. They've had the same type of storylines, if you will, these last couple of seasons. And, you know, I think he's the most comparable player in terms of Poku and how he fits in in this current rotation. So they've had positive traits just shown, you know, sometimes on a nightly basis, sometimes in little globs. But Poku being able to hit that three-point shot, shot blocking at some times, passing ability. We saw some crazy passes from him. Uh, even starting in his rookie season in the G League bubble. For Darius Baisley, he's looked good slashing to the basket. Good rebounder in terms of shot blocking. You know, he was up there in terms of team rankings last year. So you see him as a defensive prospect who, you know, might be at that NBA level. But offensively, three-point shot has not been there for Bays. We've seen times, particularly last year, where the three ball was so off for him where he almost didn't want to pop in the corner and based on how the thunder play if you're in the corner and you're wide open for a three you need to attempt it he wouldn't take it he tried to drive inside and it just didn't work with poku it's almost completely opposite right because if he's wide open from three he's going to take it it's not a matter of you know um being passive or not he's not passive at all he's he's gonna launch it when he has the chance but because he can get trigger happy and the results aren't there, you know, that's when you get to the inefficiencies that I think both of them have shown. Both of them individually need to improve in certain areas. And it's a different dynamic because of the influx of incoming talent. Guys like Jeremiah Robinson Earl might be trickling down to that four spot too now. So what is going to be the X factor that you can build yourself upon? I think for Boku, it comes from downtown. He does have some ball handling skills. It's a rather loose handle. But if there's one thing to build upon and one thing that is going to 100% punch some sort of ticket is that three ball. OKC shot historically low from downtown off the catch last year. 269 out of 270 was the ranking in terms of catch and shoot statistics. The lone team worse were the Josh Smith-led Detroit Pistons, and that was in 2014 and 2015. OKC shot about two times with a Pistons shot that year, if that gives you any sort of idea. It was not the greatest of efforts from the Thunder uh, on that catch-and-shoot game last season, and you need to stomp that into the ground when you've got guys like SGA and Josh Giddy and even Trey Mann in the fixture there. Poku has the shot mechanically. Could there be adjustments? I think you could try, and if there were any, if there was anybody to make adjustments and know what they're talking about, it's Chip England, who the Thunder just signed to what I assume is a very hefty assistant coach contract. The shooting guru, he's the one who lifted Kawhi Leonard from shooting 25% in college to shooting about 40% from distance. He has clear-cut results, and he has the resume to back it up that you know, he can come in and completely turn around somebody's trajectory from downtown. Alexei Bokashevsky is someone who probably benefits the greatest. I think you put guys like Giddy and SGA and Dort above him, of course. But in that bench unit, I think that he benefits the greatest out of this in general. 
He's shot a career 28.5% from distance, but his role is going to require a three-point shot. Put him in-house with the OKC Thunder for an extra month, and you can just keep going. Three-point, three-point, three-point. Get that shot rocking and rolling. I think with Team Serbia, he would be one of the front guys, just as Krejci and Maladon are for their respective homelands, but... It wouldn't be the same type of regimen where you know he would receive uh, with the Thunder. So I think that's the biggest uh, differentiator between Poku and the other two. I think you know if you're trying to draw stuff here on why Maladon and Krejci got those green lights, it's a little bit hard to pinpoint the particulars of it because they are also in a similar boat where they are going to be playing for something big during training camp. They're playing for a roster spot. I think in terms of NBA projects, and you know, if I was a GM, both Credshi and Maladone would be somewhere on the radar uh, as someone on the list because they're both very good playmakers. Teo 6'5". He's really good at cross-court passes, and he looked pretty solid playing off the ball with SGA as a rookie. He's shown clear signs of NBA talent. In terms of shooting splits, it hasn't been great, but I think there's something left there. With Kredshi, same goes for him. He's 22 years old, just came off an injury a year ago, but he's really good at finishing. As a six foot eight playmaker, that is special. It's kind of hard to come by. So, yeah, I'd love to see him around in an organization too. If I had a full roster, if he was interested in a two-way deal, I think that'd be a slam dunk to try to fill him in. Depends on the franchise, of course, but... They have really good traits attached to their names. Still, though, you have to prove yourself to make this 15-man roster. I think that that is the clear-cut line that you can draw here. And it's just the way I would view it is OKC probably wants to see just more reps with guys such as Teo and Veet playing other talent overseas. Veet did play a good chunk of minutes for the Thunder last year. 30 games, that's not outrageous. That's not a ton. He suffered an ankle injury in December that went into February. So he had injuries. Uh, But, you know, after that point, he was playing and he looked pretty productive. In the case of Teo, he didn't have consistent minutes to start the year. Played with the OKC Blue and then got back into action for the Thunder late into the season. He closed the year out pretty strong. So they have stuff on the record here, but because they didn't play as much, because they weren't the forefront of the team, I think placing them in this sort of environment is actually big time. It's not the same type of sets, it's a different style of play, of course, but the role is going to be identical for Credci and Maladone as it was prior to them being with the Thunder. They're ball handlers. Because of the Thunder's structure, because they have SGA, Giddy, Trey Mann, you already have your primary ball handler kind of set in stone. And then you go into those secondary and tertiary guys such as J-Dub and then potential combo guards like Veet and Teo. They're going to be running the offense in their five or so games depending on you know which outings they you know show up for. And that is going to yield some pretty good tape, I would imagine. 
Now, when we're talking, when are these guys playing? It's actually interesting. So Teo, he's going to be in the FIBA 2023 qualifier for France. He's actually playing Kretschy. So this is going to be a Thunder versus Thunder battle on August 24th. Team France versus Team Czech Republic. And then they face Bosnia and Herzegovina on the 27th. Fun fact, which I might do a separate pod or segment on um, in the coming days. Jalen Horde actually was in training camp for Team France. That's why you saw him in ASVL a ton over the summer. I don't know if he didn't make the team or what happened, but he wasn't playing. He was in attendance for their games, though, last month. So he's been very involved uh, with them and, and kind of their circuit. He's been in France basically all summer uh, dealing with stuff over there. And then the case of Vic Kredci on the counter on that August 24th matchup. And then on the 27th, Team Hungary is going to round things out there. The difference is that their, um, you know, their Eurobasket schedules. I don't know 100% on Teo's status for Eurobasket. If he sticks around there, it's a five-game stint from September 1st through 7th. And then Team Czech Republic has a five-game stint from the 1st through the 8th in September. So that kind of rounds things out there. Both of them are going to be playing seven games at maximum. And then they're moving in to play for a training camp and overall roster spot. So there will be interesting dynamics for sure. I'm going to keep you guys posted. I have been keeping you guys posted over on my Twitter. If you guys have not, make sure to check it out at Ben Kreider. I'm posting constant updates on the former OKC Blue Squad in addition to players that are overseas right now, including Teo Maladon and V. Kredci. I want to round things out here with a little bit of OKC Blue Chat. I've been kind of talking about it a lot for the last week, and you guys have been checking out my work on si.com slash NBA slash Thunder. You guys have seen I've been posting a lot on the Blue and the G League in general. And the one really interesting thing that I drew um, was the distances between G League affiliates and NBA teams. To absolutely nobody's surprise, first place is the Oklahoma City Blue. They're the only team that is sharing their NBA uh, counterparts arena. So, still in the Paycom Center for the 2022-23 season. Heard earlier in the summer that, you know, there was an idea they might have to relocate or the G League was at least pushing for that. Uh, They would need to get another property in the OKC area or they'd have to move to a different city, which... Would not be very beneficial. You know, you want to have your G League guys as close as possible, make the drive easy for everybody involved there. And they're able to do that, placing them in the Paycom Center. Once you get beyond that, you know, you got a couple more teams where basically it's right next door. The Cleveland Cavaliers have a one mile distance between their franchise, Detroit Pistons have a two and a half mile difference, even the Washington Wizards. And D.C., 6.3 mile difference. So there's three other teams within a 10 mile radius of each other, which I thought was very interesting. And there are a lot more teams than I expected that have their team within about 20 to 30 miles here. Back in the day, G League teams shared more than one affiliate. It wasn't like the Oklahoma City Blue or back then the Tulsa 66ers solely had guys from the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
In some cases, it was a sole ownership, but there would be other franchises without a G League team that have to send their guys down to other affiliates. Prime example of this, back in the G League bubble, you had the Austin Spurs take on players from the Stockton Kings. I think it was cut 50-50, but uh, you had Robert Woodard II, who was drafted by the Kings, play for the Spurs, and now the Spurs signed him to a two-way contract. So they basically stole him off them, and they had experience and time with him with personnel that typically you don't get to see. So you would see franchises with like five different teams under their belt at once i think the main red claws are one of them but it's wacky wacky stuff um when you're talking about 10 years ago in this league they've come a long way and as part of that we've seen just relocation after relocation teams that are not right next to a g league team are being sold to other franchises and almost instantaneously being relocated and that changes the charts here like major Uh, when you're talking where people are. And it makes sense as to why, you know, you want to play on, I I would love to play on the other side and say, man, I wish, you know, G League teams were in, you know, states that don't have an NBA team. And I do. I think that, you know, this is a league that's very talented, very special. But in terms of travel and in terms of kind of the premise of the NBA G League, you get the most out of it placing them kind of close to the home base. So there are, in all, 28 teams with affiliates in the G League. Only the Trailblazers and Suns do not have one. And 13 of those teams have their affiliate 30 miles or closer to their NBA arena. So it makes the drive not too bad. Getting to some of the bigger cities... 30 miles looks a lot more like 70 minutes. You can talk to the Brooklyn Nets about that one, but, you know, the drive isn't extremely painful, I guess you could say. Eventually, you turn the tides to, you know, teams that haven't relocated and in some cases are renewing their lease. And I think that's awesome that, you know, they're able to keep long relationships with states in the Dakotas or in Maine and such. Uh, But then the drives are about two hours for personnel. Teams such as the Celtics, the Spurs, the Indiana Pacers. And then you get to the Minnesota Timberwolves here. They're the 24th farthest away. They're 244 miles away from their affiliate. It'd be the Iowa Wolves in Des Moines, Iowa. And then Minneapolis, Minnesota for the Minnesota T-Wolves. That is one where you're talking, that's a day trip. It's not as easy. There's not a luxury like what you have in the Thunder organization. The Houston Rockets, they have their team in Edinburgh, Texas. That's a 340-mile trip. Even though it's it's within the same state's borders, Texas is a pretty big state, and that's going to be a long drive down there to Edinburgh. I think the next part of this, I'm going to be evaluating um, kind of how these teams have signed two-way contracts, whether they plucked them off of other teams or they've brought them in-house. I think it'd make for a very interesting graphic here. Uh, but for teams such as the Rockets, a lot of their players have come in-house throughout the years. So I guess the distance really hasn't mattered too much to them. New Orleans just got a team relocated to Birmingham, Alabama. 
Still a pretty hefty drive there. And you drop down massively for the Denver Nuggets. They have their team in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This is 1,167 miles away. I actually spoke with someone a, a couple weeks ago about the Nuggets organization, and apparently they have entirely different uh, teams within the communications department and basically every department uh, between the Nuggets in the Grand Rapids Gold, just because that is way too difficult of a drive. You want to keep your workers in the same area, so you have to basically work separately, and then um, you know they might forward the press notes or whatnot over to home base in Denver, Colorado. Last on the list, I've talked about it before. One of the most successful G League teams is the Miami Heat. 1,824 miles away. Imagine that. That is one heck of a drive. If you're a Miami Heat staffer, you're not taking a drive. You're getting flew first class out there. Probably like three connecting flights in the middle. OKC is way closer to Scotia Bank Arena than the Miami Heat are to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I think the distance between the Thunder and the Raptors are about 1,200 miles. This one's over 1,800 miles, just to give you guys perspective. It's very difficult to get over there. And they've had some pretty good signings in the G League. They picked up Duncan Robinson, Amir Johnson was over there, and even Tyler Johnson dipped his toes in with the Sky Force. But the big kahunas, guys like Omer Yurtseven and Max Struess, Haywood Highsmith from last year, they all came from other teams. And they've actually started picking players out um, this summer. They took Darius Days away from the San Antonio Spurs. He'll be on a two-way contract, and I'm sure he's going to be a good contributor. I thought he was draft eligible, or draft worthy, excuse me. So they got him under tight wraps. Um, And that's kind of the say on that. Very good franchise. I think it's interesting that what I would consider two of the bare minimum top five G League organizations have completely different approaches and completely different distances from their G League affiliate to their NBA team. So if you guys want me to continue building upon this, want more blue coverage, make sure to let me know. Always doing blue coverage around here, both on the pod and on SI Thunder. So stay tuned for that. I'll be giving you guys more news on the team as we get it. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.